All right. Well, welcome to 2023. You made it. You have arrived. And here we go. Thank you so much, Corey, for hooking me up. I figured something come out here. Thank you so much. Well, I am, uh, I am excited about this new year, and I'm excited that you are here joining us today. For some of you, you may have charged your way into 2023. You're excited for everything that the year is about to bring. Some of us, maybe we stumbled our way into 2023. Maybe 2022 was a little bit rough, and so we had to stumble our way in. And then still for some of us, we simply just passed out in 2022 and woke up in 2023. And so however you got here, you made it, and uh, we're excited. And I love the New Year time because it is filled with possibilities and expectation for what is to come. And in spite of what you may see in the news or things that you may read on social media, I really believe that God has a word for us for 2023. I believe that God has something that he wants to do in the lives of believers. And that through us, not only do we have the opportunity to be blessed, but I believe that those around us have the opportunity to be blessed as well. I was praying a lot about today's message and really asking that God would give me a word for 2023, that God would give me a word for my family and for myself, and that God would give me a word for you. And I believe that God has done that. I believe that he spoke something to me that I want to impart to you. And so I'm going to say it like he spoke it to me, and then I'm going to unpack it for you so that you can walk in everything I believe that God has for you this year. As I was praying and I was walking and I was seeking the Lord a couple of months ago, I heard the Lord say this phrase to me. He said, dig in desert places. I'm going to say that again because this is something you should write down because I'm telling you for those that receive this, for those that act this out, I believe you are going to see blessings in your life. The Lord said, dig in desert places. I believe that in 2023, God is going to show us some areas that others have called dry and dead that he is going to point us to, to dig. And it is in those places that God is going to pour out a flow for those who walk in obedience in order to receive it. And so I want to unpack that for you today because I believe God wants to do something special in this service. So would you pray for me as I pray for you as we dive into this today? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for a new year. And God, I am so expectant for what I am believing you are going to do through uh, me and in my family and in those that are here today. Holy Spirit, I pray that as I speak, even now, that you would begin to bring places and thoughts and things to their mind, God, where you are calling them to take steps of faith. And Father, I pray this year in 2023, as you pour out your flow, Father, let us have the faith to receive it, not just so that we are blessed, but so that we can be a blessing to our community. And Jesus, we just give you thanks and praise for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Hey, would you do me a favor? We got a bunch of our young people in the room today. Can you give it up for all of our kids who are in here for service? 
And I want to give a special shout out. Every time I preach, my daughter, Abigail, who's sitting over here, asks me if I'm going to talk about her. So Abby, here it is. I have talked about you. I've said your name and I have pointed to you and my other daughter, Ariel, so she doesn't feel left out and doesn't yell at me on the way home. So there they are. You've been talked about. So it's done. I have fulfilled my end of the bargain. I want to share with you a passage of scripture that comes out of 2 Kings chapter 3. I would encourage you that if you have your Bibles or you have a Bible app, that you would open it up to follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today, but I believe this is important, and I believe God gave me something really powerful in this text. I want to kind of set the stage for you so you understand where we are Some of the individuals we're getting ready to meet exist in a divided kingdom in Israel. In fact, the story I'm getting ready to share with you is about two kings who took very different paths in life, and yet they are going to join on this journey together against a common enemy. Not only are there two kings, but there is a king change that has taken place where a young man has now ascended to the throne and taken over for his parents. And not only is there a new kingdom being established, but there is also a new prophet that has shown up on the scene. His name is Elisha. He trained under Elijah that you may be familiar with. And not only did he train under Elijah, but he has received a double portion. And now he speaks on behalf of God and performs miracles on behalf of God. And this is where we find them when we come to 2 Kings chapter 3 where they're experiencing an issue because the enemy that they have is starting to rebel against them. Second Kings chapter three, starting with verse one says this, Joram, the son of Ahab became king over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Verse three, nevertheless, he continued in the idolatrous sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had Israel sinned. He did not depart from them. I want to stop here just for a moment because we see something important in the life of Joram that I think sometimes as believers or people who are just living life that we completely miss. And that's that what we do today will have a ripple effect that will affect others in future generations past our lives today. Joram is the product of a dysfunctional family. He is the lineage of a family that was sinful and evil in the eyes of God. Maybe he didn't perform the same sins as his mom and dad, yet nevertheless, he was wicked. I think sometimes we don't realize the important part that we play as mothers and fathers, and maybe you don't have kids, and you don't realize that you still play an important part as spiritual moms and dads and brothers and sisters as what we do pours into the next generation. And I think sometimes we operate under this thought process that only the good stuff is what gets passed down. But I have found with my three girls that they pick up on all habits, even the ones I tell them not to pick up on. 
I discovered this recently with my youngest daughter. She has, she's four, and she has discovered a love for all things Mario, Mario Kart and Mario Party. And she always wants to play with dad. And dad has kind of got this bad habit where he will allow her to always win, okay? Mom does not practice that same habit. Mom is ruthless. She doesn't care if you're four, if you're 30, she's coming for you, okay? And so when we play, we get frustrated. And I have this thing, I, I don't tell many people this, but I tend to be a little bit of a sore loser. I hate to lose. And I'm convinced that if I have lost at something, it's because somebody cheated me. Somebody did something wrong. The game wasn't fair. The odds were stacked against me. And oftentimes, if things do not go my way, I will pout, I will huff and puff, and I will leave the room in anger when I lose. And I discovered this past week that my youngest daughter has picked up on this habit. And I discovered this as she began to lose in Mario Party and mom got another star and she took her controller and whipped it across the room to inform us all we had cheated and she stormed out. That was on dad because she watches and witnesses everything I do and she internalizes it and then acts it out. Now that's, a, that's an area where I've failed as a dad but as parents, we try to be very intentional in the way that we raise our girls. Because I've made up my mind that if I'm not willing to pour into them the things of God and raise them up in the things of God, nobody else will. There is too much reliance in the church today to raise your kids to know God, to disciple your kids to know God. And I want to tell you something right now. As somebody who grew up in church their whole life, it is not enough. If you want to see your children walk in the fullness of everything that God has for their lives, you have to set the example. And the seeds that you sow today, the things that you do in their lives today will reap a harvest, not just in their lives, but in their children's children's lives. That's why the Bible says that there are generational blessings and curses we got to be careful with that because sometimes we'll make the excuse that I'm just a product of where I came from. My parents were jacked up, and so I'm jacked up. Yet through Jesus, I have the ability and the power to break generational curses and to be able, able to establish a new bloodline, a new generational blessing in my kids. This is the struggle with Joram. He comes from dysfunction. But notice that it says that he did put away some of the false gods that his mother and father served. And yet he still was in idolatry and sin, just as Jeroboam. And not only was he in sin, but he caused the nation of Israel to sin as well. See, where Joram missed it is he thought that God was just looking for habit changes when in reality, God is looking for heart changes. We've kind of made it up in our minds that if I just, if I go to church a little bit more, if I, if I read my Bible a little bit more, if I give a little bit more, if I do all of these things, then, 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 everybody will see me as this religious figure. Everybody will see me as this great Christian who's doing all of these amazing things for God. 
And yet God is not looking for us to provide more sacrifice. God is looking for hearts that are obedient to him. As a young man growing up, I grew up in a pastor's home, and not only was my dad a pastor, but both of my grandfathers were pastors. And one thing that I got really good at in high school was faking it when I showed up to church. I knew the right moments to lift my hands. I knew how to get those tears out just at that, you know, that one moment where the singer hits that note. You know, oh, God, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I could do all that stuff. Man, I knew how to say the right prayers and bow my head at the right time and be polite to all of the church people. I knew how to fake it when I got to church. But little did my family know and little did the people in the church knew, but my life was a train wreck. I cannot tell you how many nights I spent partying on Saturday, getting drunk on Saturday, doing all kinds of things on Saturday, showing up hungover on Sunday and just faking my way through church, thinking that that was enough to please God. And the truth is, until I got to the place where I was willing to give him my whole heart, I never was truly blessed. I was never truly set free. See, Joram is doing things that aren't for God. He's doing things for political reasons. He hasn't had a heart change He's merely trying to change his habits. And I believe that in 2023, if you want to be blessed and experience the fullness of God, it is not enough to follow some memes that you found on Instagram and that that's gonna make a lasting difference in your life. It's gonna be saying, Jesus, I give you everything that I have. And out of that place, the Holy Spirit will begin to do a work in you and will begin to change things in your life. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, that the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If I can encourage you with anything, it doesn't matter how many people you fool when you show up to church, the Lord is looking at your heart and he longs to have all of it so that he can do a work that will not only change you, but will change those around you. Let's continue back with the scripture. It says in verse four, Mesha, the king of Moab was a sheep breeder and he used to pay an annual tribute to the king of Israel, 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And so King Joram left Samaria at that time, and he assembled all the fighting men of Israel. In verse 7, it says, Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he replied, I will go. I am as you are, and my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. And Joram said, which way shall we go up? And Jehoshaphat answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. Now, again, I told you at the beginning that this is a divided kingdom. Israel is divided. You have one king in Joram who is sinful and has done evil in the sight of the Lord. And you have another king, the king of Judah, who is a godly man and follows God. I want to point out to you, I find it interesting that the godly man, the King Jehoshaphat, 
is king of Judah. And you may not know this, but Judah means praise. And I think there is something fascinating about the fact that when they are getting ready to go into battle against an enemy, that even this wicked king seeks out one with experience and one who understands how to praise and how to serve God. There is power in praise. Psalm 34, one through three says this, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. There is something powerful when we say, in spite of what's going on, in spite of the battle that I may be getting ready to face, in spite of the things that I may be dealing with, I still choose the posture of praise. See, when I praise God, I'm taking my focus off of my situation and I'm placing it in the position of faith saying, God, I don't know how you're going to make a way, but I know that you're going to come through for me. Praise comes from the experience of knowing that if God did it once, God can do it again. Years ago, years ago, uh, when me and my wife were going through a really hard time, uh, we, we had nothing and we had family that were supporting us and and we got so bad that we ended up having to go on government assistance and we had to go on something called WIC. And if you don't know what that is, I don't remember what it stands for, but I remember they would give us uh, a little bit of money so that we would have groceries because we had uh, a newborn baby and so we needed food and, and things like that. And so they provided that so that we could take care of our family. And I thank God for it. And I remember when we went to this place, it was this little crummy little government building that we went in. And, 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 and I went in there and I remember feeling so defeated because I just felt like I couldn't provide for my family. I couldn't do anything. And now I'm, I'm having to get handouts. And, and, and I'm like, man, I feel like such a failure. And I remember in that moment, as we're filling out the paperwork, they came and they gave us some things and made sure that we knew how to take care of our daughter and did all of these checks and things to make sure that we were good. And they handed us this little diaper baggie uh, where you could pull out little baggies to put dirty diapers in. And it had the offices and it said WIC on the side of it. And during that time, I would go every single day, sometimes twice a day, and I would walk around my parents' neighborhood and I just would pray. And they were usually angry prayers where I was yelling at God and I was mad about our situation. But there was something on the inside of me that told me that somehow God was going to come through for us. And I remember that we had that bag and we'd used all the baggies in it. And I made the decision that I was going to attach it to my dog's leash and I would use it for his bags. And I would keep it with me as a reminder that even in the darkest times, God took care of us. I can look back on that season where we had nothing and we needed help from everybody and I can see how God's hand was on our lives. We never went without a place to sleep. We never went without food. My kids never went without. I can look back and I can see God's hand and his blessing and his favor all over my life. And to this day, if you ever see me walking in my neighborhood, I have that little baggie attached to the dog's leash because when I get stressed, 
When I, when I get into a place where I'm in a funk and I'm not sure what to do, I'm not sure which way to go, I will look at that as a reminder of God's faithfulness that God provided for me back then, that God is providing for me now, and God will provide for me in the future. Some of you need to get into the posture of praise because you're in a difficult spot and you need to remind yourself and you need to remind the enemy that God is still for you. God has a plan for your life. And if God can through then, God will come through now. So Joram goes to the king of Judah and he gives this response to go up through the wilderness. And in verse 9, it says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they made a circuit of seven days journey, but there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. And then the king of Israel said, we are doomed for the Lord has called these three kings to be handed over to Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here from whom we may inquire? One of the servants of the king answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here who used to pour water over Elijah's hands. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to Elisha. I want to point out, first of all, that in the midst of uncertainty in this desert place where death seems all but certain, there are two different perspectives that are at play. And they are both based on their relationship and how they view God. We have one king who, because of his sin, his guilt, and his conviction, is convinced that in this desert place, it is over. God has brought them there for the specific purpose of killing them off. And yet you have another king who serves God, who loves God, who has seen God come through in his life. And he says, wait a minute, this isn't a place of destruction. This is a place where God can come through and perform a miracle. Some of us, the way that we approach God and the negative thoughts that we constantly have is because we have the wrong idea about who God is. And we think every time something doesn't go right or something goes wrong, that that must be God's punishment on our lives. Instead of saying, wait a second, this isn't a place of punishment. This is a place where God can come through and perform a miracle in my life. As believers, we have the responsibility to stand in the gap for those who can't. When the world gets dark and negative and things get bad, we are the ones with the truth. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, if we won't pray, who will? If we're not willing to seek God, who will? When things look bad and dark and awful and the world looks like it's going to hell, if the believers of the church won't stand in the gap, who will? We have a responsibility to say, God, I know that in spite of what it looks like, that you are good and faithful, and I believe that you're going to come through. So God, show me the path for breakthrough, for healing, for blessing, for favor. Why? It's not just so that we can be blessed. It's so that the name of the Lord can be made great so that others will be drawn to him. And so Joram, he looks at death, but Jehoshaphat sees that there is an opportunity for blessing. 
And he says, let's go inquire of Elisha. I want you to look at this. So now Elisha said to the king of Israel in verse 13, what business do you have with me? Go to the prophet of your wicked father Ahab and to the prophets of your pagan mother Jezebel. Elisha doesn't even want to see Joram because of the wickedness, not just of him, but of his family. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to be handed over to Moab. There's that perspective again. He feels like that because of what he's done, God can't come through. But Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts armies lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And it came about while the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, thus said the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, you will not see wind or rain, yet the valley will be filled with water so you and your cattle and your other animals may drink. This is but a simple thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also hand over the Moabites to you and you shall strike every fortified city and every choice principal city and cut down every good tree and stop up all the sources of water and ruin every piece of land with stones." I want us to understand what is taking place in this moment. An army has traveled for seven days to get to this desert wilderness place. There is no water. There is no source. It is dry. It is dead. And they are saying, this is the place where it's all going to end. And when they go to the man of God, his response is to dig ditches in the desert. I don't know about you, but I am sure that there was some frustration when the orders were given to these men who were on the brink of death, and the word is dig trenches. There's no clouds in the sky. There's no rain that's coming, but I want you to dig in the desert places because there the Lord is going to provide a blessing. Now watch this because this is where people miss it is we think that the faith step is to pray more, is to read your Bible more, is to do all of these things. I'm not saying those things aren't important and I'm not saying that God won't direct you to do those things, but the spiritual action was to inquire of the Lord what would you have me to do? The faith step was to dig in a place where there was nothing, where it made no sense, where there was no water, where there was nothing that could provide for them. That was the faith step. Some of us come to church and we think the way that we're going to fix everything is, well, I'm just going to pray a little more. I'm going to show up a little more. I'm going to read my Bible a little bit more and that's it. But in your time of prayer, if you will tune your ears towards God, he will speak to you and give you direction of things you're supposed to do. For some of you, that faith step that God may be calling you to take may be to give your marriage one last shot and to show up for the next two weeks. Well, I've, I've been to enough marriage things. I don't know if I need it. But what if this is the time that you dig that God begins to heal and restore and do things 
that only he can do. For some of you, maybe it's investing in a business that God's put in your heart and your mind. You kind of feel like it's him, but your family, everybody else says it's crazy. But what if God is saying, that's the place that if you'll dig, I'm going to pour out a blessing in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's starting a relationship or rebuilding a relationship or talking to somebody or doing this or doing that. God is not looking for us to sacrifice more. He is merely looking for us to be obedient to when he speaks. When I was in New York, if I heard the Lord speak to me, I would tell the people, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. And I remember a guy stopped me after church. He came to me and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, sure. You know, you keep saying the Lord talks to you. I was like, yeah, he, he does. He's like, I don't believe you. I don't believe God talks to you. He doesn't talk to me. I don't ever hear. And I told him, I said, you know, maybe it's not that God isn't speaking to you. Maybe your problem is you're never listening. Sometimes we're so quick to tell God everything that we need that we don't ever leave room for him to give us the solution so that we can gain the provision to solve our problem. And for Elijah, he says, your step of faith is to dig in the dry place. Look what happens in verse 20. It happened in the morning when the sacrifice was offered that suddenly water came miraculously from the area of Edom and the country was filled with water. And now all the Moabites heard that the three kings had come up to fight against them and all who were able to put on armor as well as those who were older were summoned and they stood at the border. And when they got up early the next morning, the sun shone on the water and the Moabites saw the water across from them as red as blood. And they said, this is blood clearly. The kings have fought together and have killed one another. Now then, Moab to the spoil and the plunder of the dead soldiers. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and struck the Moabites so that they fled before them and they went forward into the land, killing the Moabites. They destroyed the walls of the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land, covering it. And they stopped up all the spring water and they cut down the trees until they left nothing but its stones. Then the slinger surrounded the city and destroyed it. And when the king saw that the battle was too fierce, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through, but they could not. Check this out. The faith step was to dig in a desert, in a dry place, in a dead place. I'm sure they were made fun of. I'm sure people were ridiculing them. And yet by faith, they began to dig in the dry place and miraculously God fills it with water and when the enemy looks he sees the blood of kings and thinks I have gained victory let me tell you something I know we're not a church that shouts but I get so excited when I hear this part let me tell you something the enemy thought that we had a king who was dead when he hung on the cross and his blood was shed for us but what the enemy saw as defeat God broke through for victory for his people. And I came to tell somebody in 2023 that there may be some dry places, some dead places, but if you will dig by faith, 
you serve a son, a king that goes before you, that has shed his blood, that has overcome, so you can see victory in every area of your life. In Revelation, it says this. I'm finishing with this. In Revelation, it says this. And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then they loved not their lives even unto death. You overcome by what you speak. You overcome because he gave his life for us. You're already a conqueror. He's already provided anything and everything that you need. For some of you, you are one step away from a breakthrough that will change everything in your life and in your family's life. And I declare and prophesy in 2023 that God's people are gonna take territory for the kingdom of God. That in spite of what the world says, we are moving forward. That in spite of how dead and dry it looks, we are going to dig by faith and see God move as only he can move. All over this place, if you would stand with me as I close. Digging in desert places is being obedient when it doesn't make sense. And for everybody, it may look a little bit different. I could tell you times where God called us to sow a seed in the offering that we really couldn't afford to do, but because we were obedient, God blessed us. I could tell you about times where God told us to make radical moves, to pick up and take our family to other places. But I have learned that it is in the place of obedience in spite of what everybody else says that God blesses his people. Joram never really quite got what God had done on this day. And if you read the rest of this chapter, you see that it doesn't totally have a happy ending. But man, if Joram could have just seen how good God was and how much God wanted to do in his life, it's a wonder what could have happened through his reign as king. And for some of us, I believe that God wants to release some things, but it's gonna be up to us whether or not we receive it. I wanna tell you this vision I felt like God had. And when I say vision, I felt like he put this image in my head. And so you can take it or leave it, whether or not you believe it was from God. But I saw people sitting on a shore of a beach. And I'm sure if you guys have ever been to the beach before, you've seen as the water comes up on people and some people are playing in it and there's always that one guy that probably should be wearing a shirt but he's not and he's you know he's receiving it the water's coming up over their toes and when God was showing me this picture there were these kids and you know those kids that like dig they just dig at the beach shore and they're just digging holes for no reason my kids go to the beach and they just dig holes I don't know it's a thing just dig the hole how deep can I go and this is what I realized is that as I'm watching this and the water's coming in, everybody else kind of got a taste of it, but it was the kids that were digging that when it came in, they were able to catch and receive the flow. And here's what I'm telling some of you, that if you want to receive what God has for your life, it's going to cause you, it's going to call you to take steps that your family may not understand, families are well-intended, but you gotta follow the voice of God. 
It may not look fancy on social media, but that doesn't mean it's not God. And I believe that by faith, if by obedience, you'll begin to dig, whether it's giving, maybe it is reading your Bible for the first time so God can just speak to you so you hear his voice. Maybe for some of you, it's reestablishing some relationships that have been broken and you don't even know why you'd pick up that phone and call, but you know, just something inside you is telling you to do it. Listen to me. If you will dig, if you will take that step of faith, God's gonna pour something out in your life and you're gonna see victory in 2023 like you've never seen before. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna pray for you as we close up today. And I'm just gonna ask you this, if, if you're ready to take that step, I'm gonna count to three and I'll just ask you to raise your hand up in the air so I know who this resonated with, so I know who I can pray for. And let me tell you, if, even if it was just for me and my family, I'm getting ready to dig in some desert places because I wanna see God move so that I can be blessed, so my family can be blessed, so the community can be blessed, so that God's name will be made great. Come on, if this is for you, one, two, three. Let me see your hands all over this place. Dear Holy Father, you see these hands? Holy Spirit, right now, show them the places they got to dig. People have called them dried up. They called it dead. They said there's no life there. But God, I pray that you would give them the right step to take. God, I pray that if it's rekindling a relationship, God, if it's giving, God, if it's starting up a relationship again, God, if it's moving, God, if it's starting a business, God, whatever it is, God, give them the boldness and the faith to dig. And Lord, I pray that as you release your flow in 2023, Father, help us to receive it by faith so that in the midst of whatever goes on in the world, people will look at your church and say they are blessed because God came through for them where there was no way. And so God, I give you thanks and I give you praise out of expectancy for what I know you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Happy New Year's. Make sure you make plans. Come back next weekend for our marriage series. God bless you. We love you.